A pastor spits, the fanatic quits, and the world sits on the edge of madness. All aboard the crazy train. Well, hello and welcome back. And Happy New Year, since this is the first podcast of, uh, of this show, The uh, Gravy Train. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the Crazy Train. Um, welcome back, folks. It has been a while. Uh, TK and I have been doing some things and working on some things. Um, um, in the background, haven't figured out when we were going to do this. So we never did a a year-end wrap. We never came back to end out the year. We just abruptly stopped. That's because we were doing a lot of things in the background. Um, stuff with the health, like my teeth, which I'm still working on. I've got a lot of pain, so I haven't even been able to think straight. Let's talk. So, and I kept thinking, now I, I wanted to do something end end of December. I wanted to do something at the beginning of January. And every time I came up with a new idea or something I was going to talk about, the news went bananas and some other crazy things happened. But this right here is timely. It is timely because TK and I have been uh, um, reading the Bible earlier this year. Reading the Bible earlier this year. That's not the point. We were, we were, we were, we were in Genesis at this particular point. And, um, and so we're reading and you know, I start seeing these feeds come across YouTube and, um, you know, I, I, I like to watch this guy, ABL. And a lot of times when I'm watching some of these news commentators on YouTube, I've already got wind of some of the things that's happening inside the news. And they usually get it a couple of days or a week later. And then you'll start to see the buzz pick up all over, you know, the Internet and everywhere else, Instagram. So when I saw this, apparently, I don't know how long ago this was, but he had the video, had a link to the whole video that you can watch. And I don't know how long ago that this thing happened, but it's really weird because it's not really weird. It's, well, it is weird, but that's not the wording I was trying to say. Uh, my daughter and I have been reading and we've been talking about things for a while now, you know, over the couple of years. And since my wife died, the difficulty of everything of going through, you know, not just my journey of faith, but just watching the world just seem to implode, at least in my part of the world here in America. And we've watched some crazy things happen since Donald Trump was in office and then after he got out of office and then the country burning down in 2020 and then reemerging in 2021 with the same craziness. And then we culminate to, or does it culminate to, we get to this point right now. As you've seen from the title. Um, I'm just going to start this first. Because I'll take a break because we're, we're in the middle of about to eat breakfast. So, um... The Fanatic is from this Christian rap group, rap group, or Christian hip-hop group called uh, The Cross Movement. Now, when I first came to faith in 1993, this is one of the first things I went to the Christian bookstore to pick up. 
Um, I was a brand new Christian. I had gotten rid of all of my stuff. I had gotten rid of all my Prince music. I threw everything out. I threw out my jazz, which I didn't have to do, by the way. Um, I threw out my jazz and I begin my Christian walk, my journey with erasing everything from the past and filling all myself up with Christ. Now, though I spent many years in the choir, as I told my daughter, though I spent many years in the choir, I didn't listen to choral music or choir music except for when I sung in the choir. So I was a little bit different. Now, there were some people who were members with me and who sang and did other stuff during that time when I was coming up in Christ. And they would be listening to secular stuff, you know, listen to Jay-Z and then, you know, singing on Sunday or listen to other secular music. I took my approach to my faith walk to my Christianity was it was just going to be all Christ all the time. So after getting rid of all of that music, I went down to this place we used to have that was here in New York City for many, many years called the um, Christian Bookstore. So I went down there. This was the age of cassette tapes before the CDs started to rise. And they had this little section that said reggae. I'm like, what? So I went over and I listened to some of that Christian reggae. And I heard this guy named Papa San and a few things. So I picked that stuff up. And then I moved over to rock because I really love rock music. And I went over to rock and um, I found this group called DC Talk and just one other group that I really like. And then I moved into a small, tiny, tiny section, even smaller than the, than the rock section was called hip hop. Little tiny square, little tiny square. I don't think it was bigger than maybe this, this desk I'm, I'm standing in front of, uh, which is like maybe, I want to say four by five feet off the ground. And in it, I saw this group called Doc, Disciples of Christ. I think they came out of uh, Texas. And they were kind of corny, but it was good. You know, this is, we, we talk in early 90s, and I think they had been in, in the game, as one would say, for about maybe five, six years before that. Um, because the church was really not into Christian hip-hop at all. They really, really hated I mean, you, you barely can get churches that acknowledge that you can use drums to, to, to make Christian music into worship music. So they definitely were not embracing hip-hop. So... Um, I started out with them and then shortly I came back as I was just so hungry to listen to music, you know, and I listened to a lot of different genre of music. If you know my children, you will know that they listen to a lot of different stuff too. Uh, two of them are really into rock. My grandson um, likes country music. And so I go back and I see this little thing called Heaven's Mentality. And it's by this group called The Cross Movement. I'm like, who it is? And I listened to it. Now, the album cover was kind of corny. But I listened to the music. I'm like, this is hip-hop. It had that nice East Coast New York sound. Something I hadn't heard to this point. If you live here in New York, or if you live in the East Coast, you understand what I'm talking about, about the sound. It's a distinct sound that is unique to hear where the birth of hip-hop is. Now, years after this, everybody has this kind of has this sound too. But there's a particular sound like there is in, in, in Southern hip hop. So I found this group called the Cross Movement. And in it was uh, Fanatic, Tonic, Ambassador, Cruz Cadero, 
Earthquake, I forget the other guy's name. And I really liked it. I, I loved Fanatic's wording, how he would take words and, and doing these metaphoric things and do stories. I love the tonic because tonic was like right in your face with what he was saying. And the ambassador clearly had a theological study mind who would drop all of this interesting knowledge and truth of Christ in his rap. And I loved his style. So I really gravitated to this group. And I listened to them throughout my years as a Christian until I got to a point where I even stopped listening to Christian hip hop because as more artists got into it and grew out of it, and many of those who kind of grew up with them had changed to that second wave of Christian hip hop artists, when we got into that whole point where it was like, well, I don't want to be a Christian rapper. I'm a rapper who has to be a Christian. And, I'm, and, it, and, and it just made everything ugly. Out of that, Lecrae rose. And then he was like one of one kind of one of the first crossover artists that the secular artists loved. And he's he's huge now. But he also started to change up some of the things he was saying. And so I, like I did with secular hip hop, just said, I'm done with it. And I haven't really listened to anything. And when I do now, I'll go back to the classic stuff that I was listening to before. The reason for one of these, the reason why I'm bringing this up, as you have seen from the title, there are a few things I want to talk about, but they're all circled around this one thing. Well, the fanatic, and as he said on a YouTube, uh, apparently it was on Facebook, I didn't see it. Um, he just recently said a few days ago that he denounced Christianity and he denounces his faith and he gave up his membership to his local body of church and his membership to the universal body of Christ. Any of you who are listening don't understand what the universal body of Christ is. I know I'm talking fast, I'm trying to rush. The universal body of Christ is the entire planet. Your connection to every Christian and where you're a brother and sister. So basically he's saying, I'm not just rejecting going to my local body anymore. I'm not a Christian is what he's saying. That's not what I'm saying. So he denounced all of that. I'm sitting there going, what? Now, I got the buzz because I'm looking at something going, what is this? So I went and I looked because Tonic had said something, um, uh, John Wells, and then the ambassador, William Branch, had mentioned it on Instagram on uh, this past Sunday that I was listening to when I was actually going to do this podcast. And it, that was before I got wind of this because I was actually going to do my podcast on the pastor who spit. Which gets back to what I was saying with, you know, Hannah and I reading stuff and, and just going over things. So this was new. So since this was new and it's, and it's fresh right now, this is the first thing we're going to get into. So the fanatic said he was done. So I watched his 24-minute video. And then last night I watched uh, the ambassador talk for like an hour about this journey and he didn't he said I'm not going to get too far ahead of him let him say what he wanted to say but let's talk about what he said and he went through this whole thing and I'm sitting here going oh my gosh this is the stuff we've been talking about for over a year now just privately in this house well as I listened to Fanatic he got to a point where he 
didn't like some things in the doctrine and he started to have some doubts. And during his doubts, he stopped reading the Bible, stopped doing anything else. And during the time of his doubts, he went to, uh, uh, he was teaching secular college, but not only was he teaching secular college, but the whole out, the outside influences, as you can see, begin to change on him. Um, the politics in the world and everything else all around his sphere begin to be the things he's filtering life through. And if you listen to him, you can hear that that is exactly what happened. At any rate, he denounced his Christianity and he's walking away. And he said, after 30 years, and I went, wow, that's insane. Now, before I take this break and go eat myself some food, let me end this with one other thing. I'm watching ABL, and I heard about a pastor who spit in his hand and wiped in somebody's face. I'm like, what in the world is this? Now, I, I, I didn't pay any more attention to it. And I'm like, hold on a second. Then he did it, and I started looking, and I found the video. I watched a lot of it. And TK and I watched it sitting down. We were watching ABL as he was playing it, reacting to it at the same time. And we were looking at this, and he cut a few of it because it was disgusting. And then I saw it later on. It only took her like 30 to 40 seconds to go, I'm done. I don't need to see any more. If you're not familiar with it, I'll get back to it. I'll, I'll go. I remember that I'd written it down somewhere. The pastor, I believe, is in Missouri somewhere. He's a young pastor uh, um, at a church. I don't know if it's a quote unquote black church, but he hocked and he spit and he hocked and he coughed. And he growled and he spit in the palm of his hands and kept on talking while he was talking about sometimes Jesus wants to do this. And sometimes Jesus wants to do that. And sometimes it gets ugly and messy. Then he, he went on to take this handful of disgustingness and wipe it in the face of a man who stood right next to him. Now, some people say it was his brother. Some people say they don't know if it was his brother or just a brother in Christ. Since then, I heard that this guy apologized for this. Folks, the damage is already done. You apologizing makes no sense anymore. I'm glad he apologized. He probably should have apologized. He probably should have thought about that or ran that by somebody before he decided to go and do these antics. So... He takes that and he smears it in his face as an object lesson. Okay, in the age of COVID, where people are already disgusting in real life, you take your body fluids, you put it in your hand, and you wipe it in the face of somebody else. I couldn't care less if that was his real brother. You spit on me, which I have always said since I was a young kid, and we knew this to be the most disgusting thing you can ever do. You spit on me, I knock your teeth out. Relative or not? I've never played that game in my entire life, and I would never dream of doing that to someone. Someone did that to me once, and almost lost their teeth because it's disgusting.
one of the most disgusting things you could ever do. I will leave this right here. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to pick it up from here. And um, we're going to get into this because this is definitely worthy of the crazy train. Now that we have your attention for the next few seconds, we'd love to invite you to come and follow us and share our adventures over at YouTube at the White Beard and TK Experience where you get to experience the things that we're doing out there on the road, whether it's hiking or taking road trips. So go to YouTube, the White Beard and TK Experience. And as usual, if you have any questions about the podcast, you want to talk to us, maybe you want to have us on your show, maybe you'd like to come and have a discussion with us, you can always reach us at whitebeardandtk at gmail.com. That's whitebeardandtk at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll talk to you soon. And we're back, and you know what? I just thought about this. I'm a genius. I should have listened to what I said before I took the break so I can remember where I left off at. Okay, I think the last thing I started out with the fanatic, and the last thing I left off was with this pastor. Um, I don't know if I said where I think he's from. I think he's from Missouri somewhere. Right, I just think uh, the, the black church and everything else. So he, he, we're watching this and we're, we're, we're so disgusted. Okay, my daughter's sitting here getting disgusted. I was not only getting disgusted, but I was getting angry. I was getting angry enough where I wanted to kick the TV off the stand. I got angry enough where I wanted to break windows. I got angry enough where I began to start shouting. I got angry and disgusted to my soul. Watching what I saw. And I told my daughter, this used to happen to me way, way back um, when, when mommy and I would go to church. And certain things would happen. My wife had a particular gift, and 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 and, and one could say I had one too. But it, it would get to this point where I saw certain things happen, and then inside, I feel like my heart's going to explode. I get so angry, my head pounds, and then I would sometimes blurt out, or I would raise my hands inside a class, or I would say something, and I would say these things. And what I might want to call, no, it's not what I might want to call, what I will call a righteous anger. And how I get to a righteous anger is I was not angry at the person, right? This pastor, let, let, me, let me explain how, how I see the, the, the righteous anger part is I, I'm sitting here looking at this. And I'm going, there's no way you're going to sit here talking about, well, Jesus would have done this and, and you know, and, and sometimes it gets messy and we can't see it. You know, Jesus, Lord, you want me to go back to riding that hoopty? And Lord, you want to go over to something? And in case you don't know what a hoopty is within, I'm assuming, the black community, it's some old jacked up car that you used to drive, right? Because it's just like when we get to comedians sometimes, right? We'll have black comedians whose whole stick, his who, whose whole, whole stand-up, it's about things that only black folks, American black folks, can understand. And other hearers cannot understand. Um, I'm not one of those elk that listen to that type of stuff. If I'm going to sit down and watch comedy, I want whatever's being said is be a, a universal joke that we all can get part of and we all understand. And it goes past 
It goes past class. It goes past the color of your skin. It goes past a particular culture who you're trying to get this out to. So this is why I said, I'm not sure if this was a predominantly black church, quote unquote, black church. If it was a, sorry, if it was a black church or if it was a predominantly black church, but he knew the audience he's speaking to because he said the hoopty. Okay, so let's go with that. And then so it gets messy and sometimes we can't see and he's rubbing this and as he's talking, first of all, before he rubs his face, he's talking, he's going <coughs> and spinning in his hand. And you know, and sometimes, and you can hear the audience going, oh, they're moaning and they're groaning. At what point do you get up and say, stop, folks? Anyway, I'll get back to that. I'll, I'll get back to that because... I don't want to say I'm advocating that you should do this, but at some point, I think we should do it. Somebody should, or you just walk out. I think that would be even, that would be even better. The whole row, your whole family, you just get up and you leave. Why would you sit there in the moan and the groan and you're watching your pastor, who's supposed to be your spiritual leader, teaching you these spiritual things, teaching you and opening up the Bible to you to show you what Christ has to say today to you, to say something that's been on his heart to you about what he believes that the Bible is saying that's some truth to you. And you're sitting here watching Hawk cough and spitting his daggone hand and you're sitting there and you're moaning and groaning as if this thing is disgusting and yet you do nothing. You don't walk out. I didn't see the video looking at the, the, you know, the audience, you know, the congregation, if they walked out or something. I'm assuming somebody did. If you had any sense in your head, you would have left. You would have left. And he goes on and on. And I'm, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm fighting watching this. But my daughter got so angry. Uh, she was just like, she felt disgusted by it, and I was angry by it and disgusted by it. But I decided I wanted to continue to watch the whole thing because it struck me at that moment, I am going to make, I am going to do a, I'm going to do a show on this because this, this is timely as to everything else we've been talking about and doing over the past couple of days of the past year or so. And things that I have been seeing going on within the world, within the church community, within the modern American Christianity movement, church thing of a bob, I'm going, whew, I can't keep it straight. So he says this. And as he go on with his sermon, he takes his hand and he's smashing this person's face and he rubs it all over his face to the point where this disgusting spit is dripping off his face. Come the heck on, people. At what point do you throw flag on a freaking play? Do you say foul? Do you say this is nothing of the gospel? At what point do you say that this has nothing to do with Jesus Christ? That this has only something to do with human man, with human passion, with the person that just wants to sit up here and do something? This is not an object lesson. This is a disgusting lesson. And I'll go back to what I said before the break. In the age of COVID, forget COVID, because we totally forgot about Ebola. My daughter keeps bringing that one up. We totally forget about Ebola. We totally forget about a human cold. We totally forget about the flu. We totally forget about uh, uh, um, any other stuff that comes from your nasty bodily fluids. I don't care if you got a vaccine, an injection, or freaking enema. How dare you be so disgusting? 
In an age where we already know that so many germs come through bodily fluids, would you sit here and do that to somebody? And say, it was a lesson to teach us about Jesus doing things. And sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes you need to close your checkbook. Sometimes you need to shut down that app and don't press that button and send that money. Sometimes you need to get up, walk the heck out. And don't sit down to be part of the nonsense that's going on in front of you. Sometimes that's just what you have to do. You have to do that for your own sake, for your own soul, and for those of those of people in the family with you. You have to do it. You cannot just sit there and go, well, he's a pastor. He's God on earth. That's kind of what the Catholics do about the daggone Pope. He's infallible. We already know that Paul has said this. We already know that Jesus has said this. We already know the Bible has said this. That all men have fallen short of the glory of God. That all have sin. Man is fallible. Yes, I heard he apologized. No. He shouldn't have done it from the beginning. There should be no reason to apologize because that's just stupid. It was stupid. It was disgusting. And the people sat there and the people accepted and everything else. And let me tell you something. There was no way on God's green given earth that this just happened. Because I guarantee you, this guy probably does these sort of antics all of the time. And like a frog sitting in a hot daggone freaking pot that you just turn all up and it slowly get hot before you know what you cook to death. They sit there and they probably watch a lot of his so-called object lessons to the point where now they're in the pot and they're boiling. He can do this. And because they allowed him to do this, he did it. When I eventually, when I was first going to do this podcast, um, this was a few weeks ago. And a friend or a, 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 a recent associate, a friend, I don't really know the guy, so I can't call him friend. Um, he, he, he was doing an article. He works for New York Times, a reporter for New York Times. He was doing an article on a place I used to work at, which was the uh, um, Board of Elections. And asking me to give my information on certain people. And I was like, well, I wasn't in there at that time, so I don't know. I do know other things that are going on inside the whole thing. So that was over a year ago. So he recently sent me an article that said, and you can look this up for yourself. I'm not slandering her. I'm not trying to belittle her or anything else. I wrote up, uh, um, whew, I wrote um, a blog many, many years ago, sitting at my desk like during lunch about this whole thing. Um, and I called it the, oh my God, look for T. Anthony Bland. I called it um, the boss from hell, the, in, the manager from hell. And in it, I lay out an issue that happened. And it happened at work. And it had just happened. And then I went down from using that example and then showed different management styles. And then I got to the manager from hell. Well, I didn't call her by name in that article. But what I was talking about was this lady called Dawn Sandow, 
who was the number two at the New York Board of Elections. Well, she just got fired. Oh, excuse me, she didn't get fired. She resigned from her post after many investigations, and she she re and she returned back to the to the 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 the, the local thing of uh, the the Bronx Republicans. So she left from being the head of the uh, um, the Board of Election to going back now to just going back back to the old office, and she talks about being there for ten years. So I'm going to start out with, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. Because this lady was disgusting. I met her, I didn't even know that she was that high up. I met her right after Cheryl died. And her husband had just died um, maybe the year before, something like that. And so she had a teenage daughter who was going through it. And we just happened to meet working on a political campaign. Um, and then she asked me, what do I do? And I told her what I do. I gave my resume. So she was going to bring me down, down to the big office, the general office. So I worked down in the general office. I ran into her. So, oh, you, you know what? And so later on, they had, the plan was to send me up to work into the, to the operations department, right? In between that, Cheryl dies. So I lose my wife. Um, my wife, my, my life was turned upside down and it took a while for me to get up to that place where I was. They finally moved me up to, to the, to the, to that uh, operations department. So I didn't really know her, but after working there for a while, I would hear people say, here comes Dawn. And I watched them and they would jump up as if the Fuhrer walked in, you know what I'm saying? And they, they would leap up, they throw their stuff in the thing and they sit up straight, they open up the thing and they, and they would do all the stuff when she walked through. Now, I gotta tell you, I'm not that kind of employee. I am not going to shave my beard and then wait till I work for you three weeks later and then start growing it. I'm not gonna sit there in the interview and pretend to be something I'm not and then when you hire me, find out I'm something different. I've been in a position of hiring people and I've seen people do that. When you see me in an interview, you will get exactly who I am and who I will be as I am working for you. That's it. So you will not be shocked. So that's just who I was. So one day she walks in on my floor. Um, I'll get into some other stuff before that, but, I'm, but this, was, this was part of the part of the blog. She walks in on my floor and um, I had my headphones on. I used to listen to one side, so I would swap out. So I listen to one side so I could have my music. I'm listening to jazz sometime. Just as I'm sitting at my computer, if I have work to do, or most cases when I worked up there, they gave me nothing to do in that office. And I'm just sitting there. And so I'm listening to it. And so she comes by and, and she sees it. And she's standing up there looking at me. I'm like, yes? What are you working on? I said, I'm working on so-and-so. Why aren't you working on this? I said, because no one gave me that to work on. I was given this to work on and that's what I'm doing. And I just looked at her. My headphone dinging out my ear and she just stood there. Then I pulled it out to not be respectful. But it wasn't. Not to be respectful of her, but, you know, of the so-called policy, which makes no sense, but I, I get it. So um, then I pulled it out in front of her. I didn't take it out because she walked up to me and I'm scared of her. That's not who I am. I don't quake in my boots for no man or woman. So then she had nothing to say. She walked away from me. I came home. Now, my wife is gone, right? I, I lost my wife. I came and told, and told my daughter shortly after my wife died... Uh, um, after all the different stuff, I said, let me tell you something. If this chick ever say something to me, I'm going to be out of a job. Because I'm not going to sit in silence. I'm not those people. Now, before I get to what happened to the other people before she got to me, 
let me lay out what I said about this pastor. Being allowed to because the people allowed this type of crap to happen. So this was not the first thing. Well, over the years of work and I heard tales of her, I had never seen her. Oh, Dawn's coming. Oh, here she comes. And Dawn, and Dawn is this, and Dawn is this, and blah, 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 yada, 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 yada. And she does this, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wow. So when I finally get to the operations department, one day she got mad at my boss. And I always wondered why my manager, department manager, acted the way she did. Well, it was the dog chased the cat, the cat chased the mouse, the mouse does whatever the mouse does. That's what it was. And you can read my blog, um, um, uh, uh, The Manager from Hell. She came in and she yelled at her, cursed at her in her office loud enough in earshot, and it's not the first time she's done this, for the whole entire floor to hear. So she disrespects the department manager who gets no respect from all her underlings because nobody respected her because she never stood up to Dawn. Then Dawn will come out and leave out the office. My manager will come out and start yelling at the rest of the staff as if we did something wrong. No, you didn't do your job. And the person who's doing your job, who I became friends with, is the person who should have been the department, the department manager. Well, they passed over him and gave it to her because of all her political connections. That's how she got her job. And that's basically how the whole thing worked within that organization. You know somebody, you kiss the political ring, and they hook you up. So, on this particular day, she goes out, she comes back, she yells at her again. Now, the department manager, my, my the media boss, was locked away. She's hiding in her room. Dawn comes through and she goes from row to row to row, barking at people, yelling at people. They're the guy who sat like two rows behind me who was in his 70s, late 60s, maybe 70s. There was another lady who was older than me, who was older than him, who sat in front of him. There were people in their 30s and 40s and so and so. When she came over to him and started yelling at him about something he didn't do, which he said he did do and he did do, he started to stutter and stumbled, turned red, he got tears in his eyes, and just took the hit she was giving. She went around the corner from person to person to person. They stuttered, they jumped up, they ran, and they do so-and-so, and she came to me and hit a freaking brick wall because I was not going to give it to her. And see, she was allowed to behave like this because the entire organizational structure allowed her to be this way. So I'm not shocked that she resigned because we think we all can read the newspaper and hear the news and understand when someone resigns from something at the giant scandal, well, you didn't just resign. There was a deal made and you needed to resign so you can keep a couple of your benefits. So it was going to be ding dong, the witch is dead. I never did that. And then all this craziness happened. So, but, but that's a perfect example of this pastor did not just spit in somebody's hand and wipe in somebody's face as this is the first time. No. The congregation allowed this craziness to happen. The atmosphere allowed this to grow and to happen, and he did this. I'm angry. My daughter's disgusted. I'm looking at this and said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I used to teach 
um, Bible study. I taught youth when I worked at this Christian camp. I taught there. I taught my my uh, my uh, um, my my counselors who were in their twenties who were in Bible school and some other stuff. And I taught the teenagers um, in church. I taught the teens. I taught with my wife. We taught a, a youth church together. I did um, children's prayer um, and kitty prayer with the little kids, which basically gave them some stuff to draw. And, and you prayed over them and you prayed with them. But we sat down and we crack open the Bible and we write some stories and we'll put stuff together and we put everything together. And then we would have an object lesson. One day we had an object lesson of um, you know, being outside of the protection of God. And so we brought one of our beach umbrellas and we had some stuffed animals. And, you know, and so the point was the protection is when you're under the protection of God, these things won't touch you. But once you step outside and then, you know, we had stuffed animal, we threw it. And, you know, a little stuffed animal at each other. Well, not each other. We had one of the kids help us. And it's like, you can, these things could happen. And that was teaching object lesson to younger people. Um, we never, ever relied on an object lesson to teach the truths of the Bible. We used the object lesson as just something to show, as most people use it for. Um, so I've done object lessons before, but I never went overboard. It was one time we were doing, um, we were, we were doing Paul being shipwrecked, and, um, and we were in this classroom that had a light switch. And so she's reading about the shipwreck thing, and uh, we had we had the, the little felt thing, and you do like the little felt ships and stuff. It was, it was cute, but and so she's reading the text. I'm flicking the lights to show like a storm happening, and so I I I have done object lessons in my lifetime of those days of teaching, but I never went overboard. I would never have done something like this. I would have never gone where people are going now. And I have seen this coming. The end of the 90s, the late 90s, the, new, the American church on a whole, I don't know what's happening overseas. They decided to go after the youth. So almost every church had to get these youth-oriented programs and they ran after the youth and they were going at them like a choir to fire and all this good stuff and they wanted to, you know, get that next generation and get them strong. Well, they started doing a lot of craziness then. Remember I said about hip-hop in a church? Well, at this point, now people wanted to accept it. And so this goes forth. But it just gets worse. And we get out of that till we get to the early millennial, the early 2000. And now it seems like those youth leaders were now becoming young youth pastors or youth pastors, said I said, they were youth pastors. And they started relying more so, as I was seeing, more object lessons than it was on the word. Now, let's fast forward years later. Years later, what we have are these now millennial pastors. These were the guys who were in their teens, in their 20s. Um, um, some of these new pastors are the older millennials who might be about 40. And some of them are the younger ones, could even jump into generation wires, even whatever you want to call them. So 
This were the, these were the ones that came out of all those youth meetings back in the 90s. This is the new crop of pastors. And if you ever sit down and watch on YouTube and watch the stuff, they got all the flash and the popping stance. They got all the crazy, you know, smoke coming up and all this stuff going on. All of these different things, flowery, blah, 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 blah. And we're going to get people saved and, and we're meeting this and we're doing this and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? You end up hocking, spitting, and wiping in someone's face. And people accept it. It should not be accepted. Because it's wrong, it's disgusting, and it takes away from the gospel. Even worse, as I said to my daughter, it makes no sense. I don't understand why all these people have to go through all these different antics in order to grow their ministry, in order to reach the masses, in order to teach the Bible. Why do they go through all these different antics to get all this stuff up? And one person, you know, what was it? Was last year the guy had his wife bent over in some 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 uh, uh, marriage picture? Not marriage picture. Uh, um, I can't think straight right now. Uh, wedding photography. He had a bent over like, hey, it was like it was some sort of sex act. And it was like, and everybody, oh, well, it's okay. You know, he's a righteous guy. And, well, he just made a mistake. And he goes, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. It was kind of like in poor taste. And these are these youth guys who was once in a youth group, who once led the youth group. Then they became the youth pastor. And so many of them now, these young guys, are now head pastors or lead pastors of churches with a lot of numbers and a lot of people who come to their churches. But there's a problem, as I said to my daughter. I'm going to throw some names at you. I don't remember. I, I was going to come here with a whole list of stuff, but that would take even longer than I'm already taking. I'm going to throw a bunch of names at you. Go get you something to write this down or get your phone, get your phone set up or whatever it is. I want you to write down these names. I want you to look up these people for yourself. Jesus, that's number one. I'm going to put Jesus at the end of the list too. Jesus. Um, John Edwards or is it Jonathan Edwards? I forget. He's, he's, he's a Christian theolo the, uh, uh, theologian. Charles Finney. Um, uh, what was the German guy's name? Bonhoeffer. Um, the one from the, Az the Azusa Street outpouring, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, Brother Seymour. Um, there, there, there are a few more people. And if I can remember, I'll tell you to you. The reason I'm telling you this is that they all have different Christian denominational backgrounds. You know, Martin Luther and all these other people. They all have different of um, Christian denominational backgrounds. But the reason why I bring this up to you is because people like Finney, Charles Finney, and I was in the area, I used to work down there in the Wall Street area, where he was at. Charles Finney was part of, I think it was called the Great Awakening or the, the Revival here in New York City. I don't know if it was during the Great, I don't know if this, this revival was the Awakening or what term was it? Because they're like at different times. But here's what happened. He preached the gospel. He used the Bible. He preached the gospel. 
And people came as he opened up on Wall Street, a, a time of prayer, and people came to him for prayer, and people came in for prayer, and they came in large droves in prayer, and as they came in for prayer, they began to break, their hearts broke, and they gave up their sins, they turned around, they did a 180, they gave up what they were doing, they came to Christ, and their life changed. Before you knew it, the numbers grew. He didn't spit in his hand, he didn't wipe on anybody's face. Charles Spurgeon, another great one. I really like Spurgeon. In Britain, right? I think it comes out of the Baptist tra tra tradition. Preached the gospel. Used the scripture. People were turning away from their sins and changing their lives when they heard the word. By large numbers. He started a little church at one point because he was traveling around. He finally, they gave him a home. I forgot the name of the, the I think it's something tabernacle, his church. Like I said, write these names down and look them up for yourself. Well, that little tiny church outgrew itself and it had more people in it, more people in it, and he had to go and put it somewhere else. He did not have to have smoke he didn't have a green screen where he showed himself running down the street and being lifted up by the wings of angels. He didn't sit around there and do anything else. He preached the gospel. Brother Seymour, who I didn't even know, by the way, was a black pastor. Because all the time that I heard the churches that I was involved in, or at least the one, always talked about the Azusa Street outpouring, which happened in California which I think, if my history serves me correct, spilled off into um, Australia, as well as at the same time as happened in Australia, it was happening over in England. Now, this is more of the, uh, um, of the charismatic Pentecostal um, uh, denomination uh, for, for that, I don't wanna say brand of Christianity for you. So this is that. Well, he came out of the tradition, I think it was the, uh, the Assembly of Gods, right? He went to a school, but at the time, of segregation-ish type of things that was going on, he couldn't be or study with, so then he began, I think he began, I think the COG churches came out of that. I'm not really sure. It doesn't really matter. So he went to that school, came out, moved to California, and began to preach at a church, began to pray and preach at a church. Now, all the years I heard about him, I didn't know he was black, and I think at the time it would have been very, very good and relevant for people to tell this to somebody, not because I'm all about I need to have representation, but I had questions as I went to college, because I'm going to get back to Fanatic in a second, well, in a few minutes. I had questions about faith and, 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 and scripture and, and not doctrine, but well, maybe doctrine, when I went, and one of my questions was, we always hear about these church leaders in America who help with these great awakenings and, you know, these great awakenings and, and revivals that exploded out of them. But I said, where are the black folks? Because we were in this country for years. Did they have anything to do with anything? I know the AME church came out of that. And so when I asked these questions, I would get, oh, yeah, sure, they would have. But I never got the one person that told me. So I met this one guy many, many years later. Um, um, from the Baptist tradition who told me, oh yeah, he gave me a book. And it was this African guy that was part of, you know, stuff that happened during the revival and time and everything else. So I just happened to be in the library looking for something 
when I was looking for the Azusa Street outpouring books on that, and the guy at the library say, see, this how they do, because he was one of those type of dudes. I was like, oh, snap, I didn't know he was black. Well, here's why this also, especially for today's present age, present age in 2022, after all the crap that happened in 2021 and 2020, why this is relevant. Seymour went to California, prayed, preached, taught the gospel, the word of Jesus and all of the scripture, right? Black man, multi-racially mixed. I don't want to say multicultural because it wasn't multicultural. It was mostly racial. It, it was a mixed church. I want to say one of the first. I could be wrong. But he had a mixed church. White, black, whatever walked in, blind, crippled, or crazy, was in this church. That's huge. Because as you find out, during that time... Who was really going to go and hear a black preacher? So, this is the early 1900s. And so these people were coming to hear this person, and it really didn't matter what he looked like, but what mattered were the words that were coming out. And so you end up with all these people groups at this church. He didn't spit. He didn't need to have an airplane fly over the church and tell everybody to go outside and look up at the sky, have a sky rider come back and go, Jesus loves you. No antics. That's just what these people did. Bonhoeffer happened in a time of Germany. He got killed, actually. Happened in a time of Germany when the Nazis were on the rise, and he believed in this thing. This is the thing that got him killed. Um, Mueller, I think it's George Mueller. Uh, I don't know. You look up Mueller. Mueller had, um, um, I, I really loved his autobiography. He began charities, which a lot of charities that people don't know happen from Christians. He started a charity for boys and girls, a school, and took care of them for years. So all these people did this without all the craziness that's happening right now. The fanatic was saying that he went to seminary and during he had some questions when he went in. He had some doubts when he went in. He came out kind of with those doubts and he took all these other things and all this other stuff. And he goes on to say how over the past five years, politics has changed for him. He thinks differently about social matters and he does all this other stuff. But at the same time, he says, you know, he didn't open up his Bible. He didn't study anymore like he used to. Friends would ask him, have you studied? He's like, no, I'm afraid to look at what I'm going to find. So he wasn't studying, he wasn't seeking God, he closed everything off, he closed everything down, and he just soaked up what was coming at him socially, he soaked up what was coming at him um, um, politically, he soaked up everything that's happening in the world around him right now, and out of all of that, adding to his doubts, walked away and said, without a doubt, he denounced his faith in Christ, he denounced his Christianity, and he is gone. We don't know what he believes in yet. I'm assuming at some point he's going to bring that up. But do you see the danger? The danger of the congregation, the danger of the people at where I worked at, the danger of allowing these things to happen gives birth to the crap that happened in that church. It happened in my place of business. It happened for him because you allow these things to take root. 
Now, I'm not going to lie. If you listen to things on Instagram, if you followed us as we're doing our adventure stuff on, on YouTube, which we started last year, and if you listen to any of the podcasts, because we started in 2022, and that was just because, not because we're home, I've always wanted to do radio, have a radio station, blah, 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 blah. And so I kicked this off with my daughter. But right after that, the whole entire country went bananas. We had churches where there were white believers bending their knee and 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 and, and to, to lifting up black believers in the church and saying, "Oh, we're sorry for the racism." Like, what? What did you? What you've been sitting there every day? What did you do? You had black folks walking across the street talking to other people like, "Do you believe black lives matter?" And telling somebody to get down on their daggone knees and kiss their shoes. You had the church going bananas. As, as the church began to implode on itself. It was insane. I didn't need this as if I was already going through things. Shortly before my wife died, we left from a huge church we were in and we went to a smaller church because we started hearing that the music was getting louder. Um, it was getting more, it was turning more over to youth oriented and those who were a little older weren't really being paid attention to. And it had a huge ministry, but our youngest, our two youngest, especially the youngest one, the one you hear with me half the time, was getting swallowed up. And we traveled a while to get to this church. It wasn't that it was a bad church, but it was too huge. She couldn't meet with anybody. They had all this flash and everything else. So I had already for years was hearing about, you know, uh, family worship. I forgot what you call it. Um, family worship oriented churches type of thing. I, I, I don't know the name of it. Let me just explain what it is. Where the whole family comes in on Sunday and they sit inside the worship service together. I know, it sounds amazing, right? It sounds like, wow, doofus. Isn't that what people do anyway? No. No. Years ago, I heard this saying that the 11 o'clock, the 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most divided hour and I guess because when they're talking about churches at that time it was like I'm going to you're not watching air quotes but you know it, it, it's divided between the black church and the quote white church and the Spanish church. you know everybody goes in their different little corners and then afterwards everybody comes back out and hey we're all Christians so I'll take it a step further it's even more divided than that so you get up and you rush your kids out early on Sunday morning Maybe you'll make some food on Saturday night, so you got to worry about for Sunday when you get in. Um, you rush your kids to church. You get in a bus together. You get in your car together. You talk about whatever together. You get to the church doors. The doors open up, and everybody splits. The teens go with the teens. The children go down in the basement. The youth go over somewhere else, and the baby goes into the nursery, and you, the adult, the leader of your household, sits upstairs with the adults. You're worshiping in a style that those kids, the, the younger ones, will never see and don't understand. The youth are not watching you do it as they split a Bible study and go over there. And then when they do come inside, perhaps the, the, uh, the, main, the, um, the, the main church into the sanctuary, they may all be grouped together with their friends. Then you get back in a car and you go home together. When you get home together, you eat your dinner, everybody goes to their beds. 
Then when Monday morning comes, everybody wakes up and they go their separate ways. Your kids go to their school and when they get to their school, they're separated by grade and by age. The same way the church has done this for eons. So at one point when my, when my wife and I were teaching um, at, uh, at a church, we were teaching, we had set up because they had... They had problems with kids looking out and walking out the door. So we set up our classroom where we turned the chairs facing the front as if it was mirroring upstairs in the sanctuary where they would be facing the front. So the kids couldn't see the door, couldn't see anybody coming in. When the people upstairs were worshiping, we worshiped and we had almost basically the same sort of worship. Because our point was, if I'm going to teach you, if we're going to teach you, we want to teach you how to behave and how to act and how to react and how to be able to go upstairs when it's your time and be there with your adult parents. So that's enough about us teaching. So that's what we did. That's what our style was when we, we, when we did things. Um, you know, to somebody's chagrin at one point, I brought in some Christian hip-hop, Christ, <laughs> the cross movement, Christ, uh, um, hip-hop. Um, music and, and some other um, other genres of Christian artists' music, which was rock. We had um, contemporary music. And at the end of our class, when we gave the kids their snacks or something sort of refreshed them, we had that in the back playing. And went, who's that? Oh, that's all. And then we get a chance to talk to them so they could put down the Jay-Z and pick up somebody else. So they could get, you know, get rid of Christy, Christy Aguilera at that time. Um, and, and hear somebody different as they're getting the refreshments and they're helping to clean up and things. So that's what our style was, to be immersive. So back to the kids. So the younger ones were so separated. So at one point after had spending years of reading about different churches doing that, my wife and I got tired of having the kids separated. So we would have them come and sit with us. We said at least once a month, but it got to like a couple of times a month. And at one point, as the younger boy was getting older, was like, mm, he really didn't want to go over there. So we're like, we got you sitting with us. You're going to watch us worship, right? They're watching us with our hands going up. They're watching us when we're praying and everything else, which is what you want to do. Because if they don't catch you at home, then when, when do they see you praying and reading? But if we're talking a, a more holistic approach, a more immersive approach, then our children need to see us doing this anywhere and everywhere. So why should we be separated on Sunday? So it got more to that. And so uh, um, Hannah, Elizabeth, decided, well, she just wanted to be upstairs with us. So she stopped going down with the young kids and she sat upstairs, which is good because you both can hear a sermon and then have this chance to talk about this. I forgot why I got into this. Um, so, oh, it was the antics of oh, with youth ministry. And so it's like you've seen all these people through this history that didn't need to do this, including Jesus. Now, he just spit in the mud and put, as my daughter pointed out, when the guy spit in his face, she said, no, at least Jesus wiped it in dirt and he used mud. Um, he did a few things that we could today call an object lesson to do other things. But other than that, he spoke to people. But he also spoke to them in common language. If you're speaking to farmers, he spoke in a language that they could understand. When he was speaking to the Pharisees, he came at the Pharisees and spoke in their language. 
So it was, he was to be, as Paul said, all men to all, all things to all men. So you're able to get your message out. You'll be able to do this. But he didn't have to do all the antics that are being done today. And it's like they're focusing on all, all of the lights and everything else and forgetting that the word and the hearing of the word is the thing that changes the heart, that changes the mind, and that is the thing that changes the life. It's not you coming in there with a pair of jeans on and a t-shirt. It's not with some music blasting so loud that your ears bleed because you want to get people emotionally charged to sing. Negro spiritual and hymns came out of a desperation for God, a desperation for the healing of Jesus, a desperation for the touch of God so that these hymns came through without a drum, without an MC on a mic. And they ran through centuries and today are still touching our hearts, even if we don't understand all the words, even if we can't even sing all the words. Who, who was it who was blind who wrote half the stuff that everybody was singing? And yet in her blindness, she loved the Lord. She loved God and she wrote these passionate hymns. Hymns that a lot of churches have said, we don't want to hear that. That's old. That's old fashioned. We need to hear the new stuff. I'm one of those people that say, let's sing a hymn. Let's sing some of the new stuff and let's sing some contemporary worship. Let's get the whole gamut. Don't sacrifice one for the other. Because what we're having now is a sacrificing of one for the other. The past couple of years, the church has been so busy about social things that they are just allowing all kinds of things. And for, for a fanatic, sorry, that for him, it tore him to pieces. Well, he no longer believes. It's tore the teaching to pieces where someone can come up in there now and wipe some daggone disgusting spit on someone else's face and call that, well, you know, I'm teaching Jesus because, you know, God, God be doing that. No, no. You ain't Isaiah. Here's an object for you. It was Isaiah, Isaiah. I think it was Isaiah. You want to talk about an object lesson for you? Walk up there like he was, he was a thug. Yeah, well, this is our God. Now God can do this. He's like, really? Okay. Like, let's put your God to the test. Isaiah's like, sure. Um, pour some water in the pit. Are you sure? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Pour some water in the pit. Then it's like, you know, pour some water on the sacrifice that you're going to light. Said, okay. They didn't believe us. He said, now stand back. He called on God, and God went, Phew. Sucked up all the water, burnt up all the water, burnt, cooked up the daggone sacrifice. And then they was like, oh, yo God, the real God. And that was it. Can he put himself in the line of Isaiah? Say that Jesus would do this and this is what Jesus has done? It's unsanitary and it's insane that this right now is where the American modern church is, and it needs to stop. Now, like I said, 
I don't advocate that you just run up in there because there has to be an order of stuff and the pastor start doing something. You go, yo, hey, hey, nah, you wrong, pastor. That's disgusting. Don't be spitting the man's face and then rally everybody. We need to get him out of here. You know, yank him off the stage. I'm not saying that. But you could quietly get up and walk up out of there and make your appointment and say, sir, I don't know what you did, but that was nasty and don't ever do it again. You can get up and go find someplace else because we've gone past needing just the word of God to teach us. For us to believe. To the crazy. And the world is sitting on the edge of spinning out of control. And it can even look to the people who have their faith to come to for comfort, to help them, to give them some intellectual energy, food or, or anything. Because the people of any faith well, mostly Christians in America, have lost their ever-loving mind. I get that the fanatic, you know, had his doubts. I get that he had a problem with his faith. I went through my doubts when I got to college. You start getting all the stuff, bro. You know, all my life I've ever been told that I was stupid, I was dumb, I felt dumb. I get to school, I find out, wow, I'm intelligent. I'm knocking out A's, A pluses out the daggone box. Every time I turn around, I start learning some new things. And I start learning about the AME church and a lot of other stuff that I get to back to church. I'm trying to learn, trying to ask questions. People don't want to answer the questions. They give me some highfalutin stuff. You got people telling you things they ain't even cracked open the Bible yet or study stuff and just rolling off from the top of their tongue and off their hop. Or from off the head, from their lips. When my wife died, it was hard to hold on to my faith. It was hard to hold on to the promise of it. It was hard to believe in eternal life. It was hard to do all these different things. But I didn't walk away from my faith. I didn't walk away from Christ. Because here's the thing. No matter what happens... I had this experience. I know what he did. I know what it felt. And it doesn't matter that today I'm not seeing this thing or that thing happen. While I may be blind to a lot of other stuff, I do remember what happened. And so that was something I had to fall back on. It's like we started a, a prayer journal early on in our marriage and we wrote it a few times and we lost it and then we found it. We wrote it a few more times and, and that just was it. And the point of a prayer journal was to talk about things, put it in a prayer, and then over the years see if those prayers were answered. Well, here's a good thing about a prayer journal. Even if you see things that are answered or even if you can't see things that are answered yet, right? Well, no, 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 no. Let me fix that. Not let me fix that, but the point of you can see answered prayer. So here's the beauty of, of, of a prayer journal. You have your Bible, you have your gospel, you have all the stories, you hear all the people in your church, and everybody else say, oh my God, God did this for me. And you know, brother, like, oh, you know, I was doing this and the Lord came by and did this other stuff. But next to all of that, you have your own journal. And inside your journal shows what happens and what happened throughout the course of your life and you've watched God and you have a track record of what he has done for you, what he has done in you, what he has done through you, you now have a personal record. 
not just the Bible of ancient people, but you have your personal record of all the things that you have seen him do. You don't just have some pastor telling you, I was doing this and now I'm driving a Mercedes. You have a living record. And no one can take that away from you. And when you become faithless at one point, and, 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 and when your faith begins to get challenged at some point, and when, when the hard stuff comes to hit you at some point, you can look back at that journal and go, man, God did this. And if he did it then, as the word says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then I can hold, I can hold fast to this. Because I have, a written, I have a written log of all the things and all the things that he has done for me and carried me through and done through me. It was hard. My 13-year-old daughter is outside because nobody else actually pays attention to when you're texting. If you had, 10, if you had teenage kids, you know what happens. You ask them, they show up like an hour later. But anyway, so my 13-year-old is out in the hallway watching her mother die in her father's hands. And I watched the light go out of my, my wife's eyes and literally saw her from life to death. And let me tell you something. It's not like the movies. It is a strange thing to see. I had to close her eyes. They didn't automatically close. Never in my wildest dreams did I think she would die before me. And at 47 years old, that's insane. I had a hard time. Not with God over that. I wasn't angry with God over that. I, I was not. But I had a hard time. I was like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be me. She's supposed to be holding me in her arms. It's not supposed to be my 13-year-old kid standing out here with me watching this. How could I tell her about the love of Christ and all she could possibly think of is, he just let my mother die. And then came the stuff, I think, that really sold it for me. We had just left, remember I told you, a large church? We came to a smaller church, and we came in the middle of whatever crazy turmoil that was going on. I mean, it came to the point of physical fighting. And about three months before she died, she was like, I don't feel like going to church. My wife has never been that way. I have been that way. Like, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with right now. I don't feel like dealing with these people and the craziness. And she be there to pick me up. No, we got to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I was at that point with her. And when she said that, I was like, oh, Lord, something's wrong. We eventually left that church. We, we just had to go. They had a meeting and it was in this and a fight broke out. They, somebody called the daggone um, um, uh, TV cameras to come in there. I mean, this church was like, it was small. It had that many people in it to be going through this turmoil, but they didn't like the pastor that they hired. That they hired, they didn't like the new people like us coming in because we weren't part of that church for forever. I mean, seriously, I would tell you the words that were said to us. We got to one point when the guy walked up to me. It was one day. It was too much for me, and I'm telling you, this was all the time. So this one day was too much for me. I'm standing by my wife. You don't disrespect my wife, and you don't come to me, and you don't harm my children. You can say what you want to me. After that, we got a problem. So he accosted my wife, his son. Says some old nonsense to her on the steps of the church inside. So she comes out, and we're walking. We're about to go home, and the father come out. I was going to say something, and she's like, let's leave it alone. I'm like, okay, so let's go. The guy comes to me and said, why don't you just go back to where you came from? Go back to him. I'm like, dude, whoa, back up, please. 
This just is unnecessary. I'm just trying to go home. And he kept following me. Then I said to him, listen, I'm about a half a second of knocking you in your face. Please leave me alone. I want to go home. And with that, I turned. He was still walking behind me, throwing out some insults after insults. I grabbed my wife's hand and the kids, and we went home and got on that train. And at that point, I said, I have never experienced this with inside of a church in all my life. We left. It left a nasty taste in our mouth. We find another a local body close to us in the Bronx for a little bit. Um, we find it like a month after, because we just started watching stuff online. Um, and then we find a small church. Not another, it's not that small, but it's part of another church way up, way up in like, like Westchester somewhere. We were there for less than a month. Um, we had news that she was going to have her, 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 her knee surgery. And so we went into, as we went there, I know that they had like a midweek Bible study. I said, let's go check out the Bible study. Because that's, that's when you can know, you know, what happens at the prayer meeting or some Sunday services, almost every church is the same. Everybody's dressed up. They got all the music. Everything sounds fine. But what happens? Do you have a prayer meeting? Do you have a Bible study? How are these people acting to one another? Can we see that? So that's kind of how I like to do things and how we did. They prayed for her. The following week, she had the operation, and then five days after that, she died. So here I am, stuck. No local body. My wife is gone, and I'm just here. And before the funeral, there were people coming out and calling and, you know, uh, 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 um, and, and saying, and hey, and blah, blah, come by. The minute the funeral was over, everybody was gone. phone stopped ringing, the encouraging words stopped, family all over here and everything else is just me and TK. And we had to struggle through all that time that I was going through all of that. About a year later or two, I lost my job. And I had to go through all of that. Then we finally find a church that we like. My daughter had moved to another part of New Jersey, something else. Like, so we found this church. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. I used to listen to him on the radio when I first got saved on some old station. I'm like, who is this guy? And I was like, oh, wow. I, I know for a fact his teaching is good. I know for a fact that he's solid. We go to visit. And shortly after that, 2020 happened and everybody shut down. So here I am kind of lost I had to struggle to find that inner prayer journal and remember where Christ was throughout my life remember in these different places remember in so and so because there was nobody in contact and no one to contact and nobody cared about contact and I had to go through that and while I'm going through that I'm watching the Christian church in America implode as we got infighting among the evangelicals, black and white and all the other stuff. And all oh, you know what all has been going on, right? People are doing things. And when uh, uh, Trump was running, they're blaming everything on Trump. He started racism. He's like, no, that never happened. But you all are using this as an excuse 
to stand in your soapbox to continue the hatred and the bitterness you actually had. Remember what I said? There was no way in the world that that pastor just suddenly got up there and everybody sat there and just watched him spit and wipe on that person's face. No. There were other instances and times before that that led up to that thing that allowed for that thing to happen to come to that point. My old boss, the people around her allow her to get away, allow her to curse at them, allow her to treat them the way they did, just, just let her go, just kept letting her go, didn't say anything to her, no one challenged her, no one did anything, allow her to grow into that three-headed, ugly, green, freaking monster that she was. Unchallenged. Well, when she met me, she was challenged, but unchallenged. Yes, that challenge may have cost me my job or, or whatever else down the line because I stopped towing the party line as listening to these things and going to these meetings that things were not helping out or anything, and I had my own family I needed to worry about. So 2019 came, boom, there went my job. I'm like, okay, I'm released from you. I don't wholeheartedly buy into everything that everybody has to say because that's a dangerous place. That's the place where you come and you sit there in the congregation and listen to this person try to teach you about Jesus by doing it a disgusting act. This is where we get to, there's so many antics and, and, and object lessons and all these different things that are happening inside of church instead of people teaching the Bible, instead of people reading the Bible, instead of families reading it together, instead of families praying together, instead of families sitting together on Sunday, instead of families sitting together at home, you know, once a week, five minutes, whatever it is. Instead of us doing this, we've gotten to the point where we have allowed Christianity to be hijacked by craziness. We allow our faith to be hijacked by so many things that bang up against us. I struggle to believe and ask that God would help me with my belief. But with all the stuff going on, I didn't turn around and say, man, I'm walking away. Those are the things that turned me to go running to him. And then I had to start finding myself and, and reading the Bibles at times when I did it. It wasn't as regular as it would have been and as it had used to be. But when I found myself doing it again, I had to go back and I, I welcomed it. I went back to reading it as if I was a young believer all over again, starting from the beginning and just reading it and finding love in it and finding strength in it and finding truth in it as I did when I first did. And which is a good thing. I'm going to close with this. There is a part, I want to say it's Matthew 24, Matthew 25, or something like that, where Jesus is talking, and he was saying, you know what, there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be all these different things are going to come and it's going to happen. All these things, this, 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 and this is going to happen. And um, they will fool even you, and, and people are going to lose heart. People are going to lose heart because of all the stuff that's going on. I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly where it is, and I don't remember exactly how the whole thing lined up. So I'm just going off the top of my memory. But it's all in that same area. And, and it's, you know, all these things are going to happen, and the people are going to lose heart. Why? Because of all the stuff he just said. 
They're going to lose heart. They're going to lose faith. But the ones that hold on to the end, when you go through all this and when it's all over, you're good. Because you held on to it. And I love another part he says is that, you know what? While all this is going on, they will fool even the elect. That means you, the hearer, who's a believer, you, the one who understands, it will fool even the elect. If that was possible. Because see, here it is, I'm telling you now. If that is not a verse for the present time and for our present state, I don't know what is. Stay the course. But when you have already left it, like fanatic, when you have already gave up, and when you allow all these other things to come in, you know, you're reading a thousand books on philosophy and metaphysics and everything else. You've rejected this thing of Christ. You've picked up all this other stuff and all that gets into your brain. Of course, you're confused. And you're going to believe this other stuff. And that's where you're going to be. And eventually you will walk away. But what happened to everything else that you believed? Again, I understand that. I understand that struggle with your faith. I understand that struggle to hold on and to believe. I've been there a number of times at different times in all my years that I have known Christ. But this is a crazy time that we're in. You know what? I don't even know how to end this. <laughs> but to say that, be careful, people. Be careful of your political ideology and, and then going wholesale on everything that everyone says. Because most of us in this country are in the middle politically. We really are. It's not as it is being shown on television, but we're at a weird time now where television is elevating the crazy and making normal people crazy. They're elevating the crazy. People say, I believe this is how I feel, so this is what I am. No, you are not a dog, sir. Take the leash off your neck. Oh, you're a bigot. You don't believe... What? This is an insane time. And people are losing heart. And they're losing their faith. And they're walking away. It's a little song we used to sing to kids. Um, we used to have our kids, uh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little, um, some little, some little, um, like, uh, I can't think of the song, but. And we must be. What we hear, what we watch, what we allow in, because it affects every part of our body and every part of our lives. I'm going to get out of here right now. Um. I haven't looked at the time, but I'm quite sure I went longer than I intended to. Have a great day. Have a good day. Have an awesome day. And hopefully, we'll be talking soon.